always good to come here. I love Bruce and Dory and just all that God has done and the staff and just the whole team. This is a precious church. It's precious particularly to me because of the DNA that I have. We, we both grew up under the same spiritual father and mother, Ernest Gentile and Joy Gentile. Those are from pretty amazing people that put imparted something that is just a gift. So I, I thank you for that. Well, I had just finished teaching a course entitled Introduction to the Supernatural at Northern California Bible College. And so I've been very much trying to understand one of the great mysteries of the Bible, which is physical healing. I, I, I love, I'm a kind of a teacher type, and my passion is to try to figure the Bible out. <laughs> I kind of wired that way, and I love to do it. Uh, tried to figure eschatology out, still working on that one. But probably, I would say the hardest challenge, theological challenge that I have found in the entire scripture is the issue of physical healing. Because it is, it is a mystery. It has got so many angles to it. And so I've been on kind of a personal journey to try to make some sense out of this. I actually purposely called the course Introduction to the Supernatural, because I, I certainly don't claim to have the, the final word on this thing. But I'm, I'm wanting to learn because I want to see people healed and I want to be healed. And so that kind of motivated me to, I, I devoted the whole summer to trying to put this together. And of course, I've been a Christian for 49 years. And so I've got all of the history of everything that I've seen and kind of bring that into the package and teach a number of courses on the Bible and so I thought, well, let's see if I can put this into 11 different messages. And so I went ahead and made an effort, and I certainly intend to go back and teach it again. And of course, I will be changing it every time I teach it, because I certainly have not arrived in my understanding of how this thing works. So I, if I had arrived, boy, I'd be in a big tent right now, and there'd be thousands of people, and it would be, it'd be a done deal. So <laughs> I'm not there. I don't know if I'll ever be there. But I certainly am fascinated and passionate about the subject of physical healing because it is part of the covenant. And so, uh, poor guy on the sound booth, you know, let me yak for a little while and then we'll, we'll kick it in probably about page two, okay? So hang with me there. <laughs> uh, what I'm going to be sharing this morning is my own personal take. I do not speak for Hillside. I don't even speak for Northern California Bible College. I'm speaking for where I presently am at today. And that could change tomorrow. And so I want to preface this and what I share. Some of it may ring well. You may just bear witness with it. Some of the things I'm going to say are probably going to make you mad. And other stuff, why don't you just take it and put it on your theological shelf? You know, you all have a theological shelf you're not quite convinced it's true, but you're not going to throw it out yet either. So you kind of keep it there, and maybe one day you'll go look at that again. Um, that's the way you, you learn the Bible. We're always learning, trying to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so if you'll give me the liberty to just share personally where I'm at, and if I, I step on your toes or I say something that ticks you off, be merciful, because I'm still working on this thing. 
And I, again, certainly do not believe or want you to feel any way, well, I better believe this, because I may be saying some things that just aren't true. And I, I state that right up front, but I am going to share with you a little bit about my own personal journey and where I'm theologically presently at. So would you do me a favor one more time? Would you all stand to your feet? And I would like to invite the Holy Spirit to be here and in the Holy Spirit's got 25 different titles to him. You aware of that? One of his titles is called the Spirit of Revelation. And I'm asking that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal something new and fresh, something I've never even thought about, and to all of us that will be a little more aligned with his perfect will. Our Father, we, we come to you in your house on your day, gathered with your people in your presence. And I can't think of a better situation for the Holy Spirit to reveal truth regarding this issue of healing. Lord, you've looked at us. You've seen the many prayers we've prayed. You've, you've cried out. You've seen us cry out to you. You've seen people who get healed. You've seen people who don't. And we are, as your people, wanting to capitalize on the promise that you have made to us. We ask that we would have an encounter with the spirit of revelation this morning, that we would see things that are new, that if there be old ways of thinking that are destructive, that are prohibitive, we pray you would break those down and give us a fresh, new, accurate understanding of your will regarding the subject of physical healing. We, you said that you want us to be in health even as our soul prospers we are here to be healthy we want to demonstrate health we want our our bodies to be a healthy temple of the holy spirit so we can be more active and useful for you so we invite you this morning lord i pray you would quicken me with the spirit of revelation help me to see to speak as you would want me to we commit ourselves to you give us ears to hear and a heart to understand, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated, thank you. I want to start with a scripture you, you know well. It's Exodus 15, 26. It says, I am the Lord who heals you. There it is. I am the Lord who heals you. I'm going to suggest to you this morning, and through a number of different ways, that the main thing that stands in the way of being healed. And I'm not saying the only thing, but the main thing, the numero uno thing, is doubt. And doubt is a very subjective word. It's got a huge possibility. It's certainly not binary. Yep, you got it. Yep, you don't. It's, it's all shades of black, white, gray. Doubt comes in all forms. Everybody in this room has doubt simply because we have prayed for people who didn't get healed. And we go, hey, what was that all about? And so we are all creatures of doubt. And I don't know how God works it, but if there's a, enough doubt, the answer doesn't come. If there's more faith than doubt, it does come. I don't know in certain cases if God requires complete faith for the answer to come. But I do know this, that doubt is the number one thing that keeps people from being healed. 
No, I, I, don't, I reject the faith message that happened back in the 80s that if you're not getting healed, that's your fault. I, I totally think that's a bogus theology because we're all it's, it, doubting in some capacity. It's kind of who we are. And so there is no condemnation in this at all. It's just trying to strive to reach what God has for us. T.L. Osborne once said, until we are fully convinced that God wants us to be healed, to be well, there will always be doubt in our minds as to whether or not we will be healed. And that's a very strong statement. It's kind of dogmatic. But I actually believe it's true. That if we have doubt, it prevents healing. And so our job is to overcome the doubt. Thank God for verses like, I believe, help my unbelief. Because it creates the possibility for me to overcome a doubt that I would have. So, here we go. I've been a Christian now for 49 years, and I've had a lot of different positions in my own mind about the issue of physical healing. I've gone through a number of physical things myself, and uh, I've come to the conclusion that I need, to, if I want to be healed personally, I have to go all out warfare against my own personal doubt. That is the biggest obstacle. I can't depend on other people's uh, faith. I love it when they have it. But bottom line, it comes down to me. Do I believe? Do I doubt? Because we're talking about me here. And one reason that disease takes such a toll among Christians today is because we don't believe what God has actually spoken. And that, that's a big one. Um, they say, they know that God says, I am the Lord who heals you. We'll also, we'll also amen to that. But somehow we fail to believe that he actually meant what he said. Wait a minute. You know the devil's strategy right from the very beginning has been to say that God really doesn't mean what he says? And we see that according to what's called the law of first mention. The first time that the devil shows up in the Bible, uh, you know the story well. The devil told Adam and Eve that God really didn't mean you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would he create such a beautiful tree if you can't eat from it? You see, God's just messing with you. <laughs> The devil uses that same strategy when it comes to physical healing. God promised it, but he really didn't mean it. He's just messing with you. You know, the moment that we assume that God didn't mean what he actually says, we're suddenly on very shaky ground. Well, what, what do we believe? If God said it, is it true or not? How many of you are bound in some kind of a legal contract right now? You've got, maybe you've got a car loan, a house loan, you're legally married. Some, how many of you got legal stuff going on? You've got a document that actually says, yep, I am bound to this agreement because of a document. Well, <laughs> how many of you, just out of curiosity, are in contract to buy a house? Anybody own a home around here? Okay, most of you. Um, what if there, that document says, well, if you pay your monthly mortgage every month, after 360 times, the deed of the house is yours. But guess what? 
They're just messing with you. They don't mean that. Of course they mean that. You see, when there's a legal document, it's binding. Now, the moment you accepted Jesus, you also entered in to the most ironclad of all legal documents. Do you know that? Psalms 89.34, it says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. I mean, God said, hey, I made covenant, I don't break covenant. You might, I don't. If you will confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you have asked him to forgive you of your sins, guess what? You're in contract. So what is God responsible to do as part of his contract? Well, he had to go to the cross. Take your pick. You can either ask Jesus to forgive you or go to the cross. I, I like the former, thank you. So Isaiah 53.5 spells it out in black and white. Now, this is our contract. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That's our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's the root of our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. But then it goes on and adds this clause that is where it gets controversial. And by his stripes we are healed. On the cross, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. You see, the cross made provision for our sin. Then on the whipping block, the stripes carved into Jesus' back made provision for our healing. I want you to notice that the salvation and physical healing are in the same verse. And they happen because of the same event. The cross was for the forgiveness of our sin and the healing of our body. It's one and the same. Jesus asked the religious leaders, well, is it easier to heal or forgive sin? <laughs> Neither, because they're the same. Two different outcomes created by the same event. We get them both equally. Our sins are forgiven and our bodies are healed. If we exercise faith by confessing our sin and asking to be forgiven... According to the contract, there is only one practical reason why God will not forgive our sin. It's if we choose not to forgive somebody else. That's the only thing I have found in Scripture that cancels out being forgiven. It says in John Matthew 6.15, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's the only one I have found. And so we are bound, according to our covenant, to forgive people, assuming they're repentant, and, that, and if we will do that, our sins continue to be forgiven. Now, when it comes to physical healing, there is also only one reason that I know of that cancels out the promise to be healed, and that is if we refuse to believe. That's the only one I... Now, you, you could make an argument, I guess, well, if you... Maybe you take a communion unworthily, then possibly uh, you could die early or something. Yeah, that you could bring that in. There's a couple of little minor things. But overall, the basic revelation here 
is that the one thing that keeps us from being healed is unbelief. Are you aware of the only documented time when Jesus prayed for somebody and they didn't get, or didn't even pray for him, why people didn't get healed in the ministry of Jesus was when he was at Nazareth. In every other case, when Jesus ministered miraculously, everybody got healed. There's not one example in the Bible of Jesus ever praying for somebody and it didn't happen. The only time where people didn't get healed was in Nazareth, and that was because of unbelief. And that is part of the covenant that we're looking at. Forgiveness of sin and physical healing go hand in hand. They're both part of the same covenant, and they each have their own stipulation. If we want our sins forgiven, we must forgive others. If we want to be healed, it's imperative that we believe. Now, I want to approach this from a different angle. Jesus lived out the physical expression of his Father's will uh, because by his life as both a revelation and a manifestation of the unchanging will for our lives. He, in other words, when Jesus walked the earth, he was saying, this is what I am saying. Jesus didn't write anything down. He just lived it out. Others wrote it down. And the point here is that when Jesus laid his hands on people and healed them, he was revealing the will of God for people of all ages. It was not just for his own generation. Otherwise, why should they have a special privilege over the rest of us? He simply did it there so others would see, this is what I do. Now, and here is what he did for them. I'm going to give you a number of scriptures here. We'll just look them on the screen. Matthew 12, it says, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Notice the word all. Everybody that came needed healing got healed. Luke 6, it says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. Matthew 8, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled by the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Here's another one. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. There's no, some got it, some didn't. Everybody got healed. The only people that did not get healed were those from Nazareth because of their unbelief. And I believe, and this is where I'm personally at, I believe that the same holds true today. If we don't believe, there's a good chance we're not going to get healed. Now that's a, bi- that's a big obstacle. How do you get to this belief part? It's kind of like salvation. If you don't believe, will you get saved? Does God save people who don't believe? Well, what if you do a lot of good things? What if you sing in a lot of choirs? You feed the poor. Do you, you get saved that way? No. You get saved only one way, and that is by believing, by faith. We're saved by faith that no man should boast. It's like salvation. If we don't believe, we won't be saved. Uh, James 1, 6 to 7, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow, kind of harsh. You won't get anything from the Lord unless you believe. That's according to Jesus' brother James. Point here, there seems to be no exceptions to this. And I, I was looking for one all summer. I tried to find, well, give me some loopholes. Didn't find any. I can sure use some loopholes, because this stuff is hard to absorb. F.F. Bosworth, he wrote a book. It's called Christ the Healer. And this is a man who had an enormous healing ministry back in his day. And he makes this interesting statement in his book. He goes, perhaps no one could be more careful than the scholars of the Episcopalian Church. I thought of, of all the groups to choose, the Episcopalians? Apparently what happened is that they were commissioned by, um, their denomination commissioned all, so a number of their scholars, and these were guys with 20 titles after them, uh, to do a study on physical healing for the body. And after three years of research, researching not only the Bible, but also his history, they reported back, here's what they reported back to the church. <laughs> the healing of Jesus was done as a revelation of God's will for humanity. I was kind of surprised. Wow, the Episcopalians are saying that the healing of Jesus was done as a revelation of God's will for humanity. Everybody is supposed to be healed according to this. And after the study, they went on to further report, and this is what really got me, and I quote, no longer can the church pray for the sick with that faith-destroying phrase, if it be your will. Whoa, you're kidding. How many times have we had people pray over us, if it be your will, Lord, if it be your will, Lord? Well, even the Episcopalians are saying, that is not biblical. <laughs> I think the number one killer of faith is, if it be your will. I have chosen to believe it is your will, based upon what Jesus did, how he demonstrated himself when he was here on earth, uh, as long as there's not unbelief. The moment that thought is entertained, is it, can it be your will? You know what happens? You, it's hard to have perfect faith. Because if it's, how can I have faith if it's not your will? And it just, it cuts through the whole thing. The moment that phrase is entertained, the decision to be healed, is now all on God and none on me. <laughs> it means healing is divvied out in some kind of a divine lottery. Some get healed, some don't. It's completely up to God. It's like watching the Powerball drawings. You ever seen that little ball pop up? Whoever has the number gets, gets it. Well, if your ball pops up, you get healed. Uh, if not, eh, well, maybe next time. Keep investing. Now, that is, I call that extreme Calvinism. Some ordained to be saved, Calvinism says, but most are not. If you're saved, man, you got the Powerball. Somehow your lottery number came up. You didn't get saved, well, that's too bad, man. I don't know what to tell you. Does that sound like God? Is God a gambler? Is he a Powerball gambler? That's not faith. That's a distorted form of predestination. So what does faith actually look like? Is it some inner feeling? Sometimes. 
Sometimes there's feelings, sometimes there's no feelings. How about, um, is it a confession? I think absolutely. That's a confession based on the covenant. Bible says I, I am to be healed. But most of the time, and this is kind of what I came up with after a, three months of studying this, it's an act of will. Healing is often an act of will, probably more than anything else. Remember Peter's in prison? The troops had gathered at Mary's to pray all through the night for Peter's release. And then what happens? God answers the prayer. A few hours later, hey, Rhoda, get the door. She goes, gets the door. It's Peter! Rhoda, you're crazy. He's in prison. And that's why we're here praying for him. Now, does that look like powerful faith? And yet, that prayer that they were praying, along with probably 10 other variables, is what got Peter out of prison. You see, the thing that's interesting about that all-night prayer meeting is that the night before, they also had an all-night prayer meeting for the apostle named James. And they prayed all night for his release from that same prison. And what happened to James? They cut his head off. Now, if you've been praying all night for something and nothing happened, you got no results, what's going to happen? You think there's a possibility that doubt might start to formulate? Hey, Peter's now in prison. We need you all to come back. We're going to spend another all-nighter praying for Peter. I didn't get much sleep last night. I don't know if I can do another all-nighter. And really, I'm not a whole lot motivated because it seems that you pray all night and they chop their heads off. So what's the point? But because I have faith that God answers prayer, although there's a lot of doubt right now, I'll come and I will pray again all night long. So what happens? They do show up. You know, God honored that act of faith because Peter was released. And I also know there's the variable, well, Peter had a different call in his life than James. And you can see how this thing is really complicated. That is why it is such a difficult doctrine. Uh, one of the clearest examples of action-type faith is found in the story of the brazen serpent of Numbers 21. Remember the story, Israel was complaining and they're calling out against God and against Moses. They're whining about the food, acting like a bunch of two-year-olds. And God, you know, he's graciously providing food every day for them. They don't have to even work for it. It's just theirs. Yanging about their leader, yanging about him. And so God says, you know what? I think I need to discipline my little two-year-olds here. And so he sends thousands of snakes into the camp. I don't know if anybody likes snakes. Most people hate snakes. And it was no different back then. These snakes are going around. They're climbing and in, getting into the tents. People are getting bit. People are starting to get, are dying. They're getting really sick. And, and it's funny how when you've been disciplined, you quickly repent. You go, oh, <laughs> better keep my mouth shut. That was kind of stupid. And they, they ask God to forgive us for our whining and our complaining. And God looked down and heard all of that confession and said to Moses, I've heard them. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you, Moses, 
I want you to set up a pole. It's the same kind of a pole that had, they would hang their standards on. It was, a, it was a pole with a crossbar. And he said, I want you to hang up a pole, and I want you to get uh, somebody like Bezalel, who was their artisan, to fashion a brass snake and put that snake all around the pole. And I want you to lift that pole up, and here's the deal. Whoever is sick from the snake bite, all they have to do is go to where the pole is, look up at the pole, and they will be completely healed. Wow. Now, what does faith look like in that case? Do I believe that'll really work? No. Do I feel it'll really work? No. Faith looked like, you know, I better get going because I could die before this thing happened. Faith is, I'm going to start making my way toward the pole. But the problem is, the population of Israel at that time was between 2 to 3 million people. You know that's twice the population of San Jose? I don't know, I don't know how the geography landed, how it worked out, but I don't think that 2 to 3 million people were all camped within a one square block. I think this thing was massive. And what if the pole was three miles down there, my, hat, my tent's here, I got to get myself three miles to the pole. Well, how many of you like to travel when you're sick? And they didn't have Uber or public transit or cars or anything. That usually meant you had to hoof it three miles while you're sick, you're, you're, you're dying sick, or if you couldn't do it, you had to hustle up somebody to carry your stretcher and put you on that. Would you carry my stretcher for three miles? Uh, maybe 50 feet, but three miles? And so they had to make every effort they could to secure a, a way to get to that pole. And if they were willing to do it, if they were willing to go through the effort, they got to the pole, they look up, healing. Isn't that interesting? You see, in this case, it was absolute effort that got them healed. It wasn't feeling or believing. It's just, am I willing to do this or not? Do I want to bother with this? Do I believe this is even true? That's a pretty serious thing. I mean, I was, during the service, I was thinking about another example where, remember the three guys? Somebody mentioned it. The three guys who... Four guys who brought their friend to the house, dropped him down through the hole in the roof. You know, when, when the man got healed, you know what Jesus said? Their faith, their faith got you healed. And their faith was showing up with this guy, and there's, the, the, there's a house, and it's 200 deep, and they got to break through and get their way and, you know, elbowing people so they can get up to the house. They get there, they look through the door, through the window or whatever it was. There's no space at all. All right, now we got to climb up on the roof. And here they are, they're trying to ho host this guy on a stretcher. They had to tie him in. They're breaking the trestle. It's a big mess. They get to the roof. They tear the roof apart. Somebody, hey, say, we're gonna, somebody's going to have to pay for this. And so they lower him down, embarrassed. The only spot in the whole place was right in front of where Jesus was. Jesus says it was their faith that got you healed. You see, faith is often a major effort 
on our part. I just wish, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, I just, heal me, Lord, done. I have seen very few healings like that. Usually when people get healed, there is a history of what went into that healing that is often not recorded. This past year, I had severe pain in my both of my shoulders. I had first it was in my right shoulder, my left shoulder. I I could I literally could not raise my hands in either shoulder beyond this. It was really a drag, and I couldn't sleep at night. I'd turn on the side sleeper, and I'd be in pain. I'd have to flip to the other side. It just went on and on, and I was determined that I I want to get healed. It's 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 in my contract. Because and so what happened is that I had I made every effort I could. I must have had at least a hundred people individually pray for me or praying for me. I had all my students praying for me. I attended a conference in Los Angeles and uh, made myself available for prayer from the big name speaker. Uh, I went up to Bethel, got prayed for. I I actually I actually spent two hundred and fifty dollars on each shoulder getting an MRI. No coverage on that. I had to pay it out of pocket just to find out what is wrong with the shoulder so that I could pray accurately. I, I don't believe in just, oh, God, heal me. I am more into, I, I speak to this particular muscle that is torn right here. And I got, a, I got a, a, an MRI readout of my shoulders, both of them. I did it twice. And so that I could pray more effectively. And I had people praying and praying and praying. And, and what happened one day, I didn't, oh, good, I got it. No, it was a gradual healing as prayer continued to go on. And now I can do this without any pain at all. I got healed. But I had to work at it. I had to, I had to walk to that cross, to that pole. And... It's not this come and lay your hands on me and voila, I'm healed. I mean, Jesus did that. We ain't Jesus. We kind of have to do it the the old-fashioned way. (laughs) Well, my faith was demonstrated by a dogged determination. I'm not leaving earth until I get healed. I I really meant that. I I said to myself, I am not going to go through life without the use of my shoulders. It's, It's... My contract gives me something better than that. And so because of that, I decided to go on an all-out effort to get healed. Now, I want to shift gears for a moment. The hardest part about believing for healing is the question of what do we do with all the problem verses or realities about being healed? For example, are you aware of uh, 2 Timothy 4.20? It says, Erastus remained at Corinth... And I left Trophimus, who was ill, in Miletus. Now, this is Paul speaking. He goes, yeah, I left Trophimus sick. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the guy that writes most of this Bible, and you're telling us it's okay to leave somebody sick? You're the Apostle Paul? And that always bothered me. Now, before I kind of came to where I'm at today, I used to use this as my proof text that God doesn't want to heal everybody. That was one of my strong verses. And so I really struggle with that. I'll give you another problem verse. 
It's possible that Paul struggled with his own eye problems and was never healed as we know it. Uh, we read verses like Galatians 4.15, If possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. It would be like saying, I would give you the shirt off my back, but Paul, we see you got a shirt, but we do realize you have a need for, for sight. We would gouge out our eyes and give them to you if we could. Or here's another one, Galatians 6.11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hands. You know why people write with large letters? They can't see. And so Paul had an eye problem. And I'm thinking if the Apostle Paul's got an eye problem, why doesn't he get aggressive about his own physical healing and get healed of this thing? I think it's a legitimate question. You see, from a hermeneutical standpoint, a doctrine is the conclusion drawn after including every contribution of every related verse on the subject. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle. Every verse has to fit somewhere in this whole scheme of healing. And I got a trophimus I left sick, and I got eye problems. These are two weird-looking pieces. How are they fitting into my overall puzzle? They weren't. And so, frankly, what happened is that I, I felt I discovered one of the great conundrums of Scripture, realizing that the Bible presents two opposing realities at the same time. I am the God who heals you. Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. <laughs> How do you deal with this? Can these two realities exist at the same time? Or do they create the very first Actual contradiction of the Bible. Boy, don't we ever like to say, oh, there's no contradictions in the Bible. Oh, yeah? What about this one? And I went through a personal crisis of faith. I was stuck. I, I, I went through about a whole month of just researching all this and thinking, well, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And so I, I kept praying, God, would you help me to resolve this thing? And I felt the Lord gave me an answer. And I'm going to share that answer with you. I'll submit it to you. It worked for me. I don't know if it worked for you or not, but it did work for me. Here's what came to me. All believers are to hold fast to the promise that God said, I am the Lord who heals you. We start there. That is our promise. I am the Lord who heals you. Assuming there is no Nazareth unbelief present, God invites every believer to invoke covenant promise that just as we are forgiven, we are also healed. And this is our covenant right and standing. I, I start off by saying the Bible promises physical healing to us. And then regarding the above stated reasons why somebody wouldn't be healed, such as Trophimus or Paul, in per now here's the, here's the kicker, hang on, because you're not going to like this. Here's the kicker. In pursuit of our own healing, we are to ignore that reality. Yep, that's what I said. Ignore that reality. Let me say it again. Regarding the above stated reasons why someone wouldn't be healed, such as Trophimus or Paul, in pursuit of our own personal healing, we are to ignore Trophimus and Paul. No, I don't want to hear about Trophimus and Paul. That doesn't help me get healed. Essentially, that's what I'm saying. This isn't to say that reality doesn't exist. It does. It's right in the Bible. 
What about all the times where people got prayed for and nothing happened? That's a reality. You just can't ignore, oh, that never happened. Of course it happened. More often people don't get healed than do. That's a reality. The mo- but, however, we are called, now here's the revelation that helped me. We are called to not focus on that reality. Instead, we are called to focus on I am the God who heals you. That is where our focus is to be, not off there, not off, that isn't going to help me. I've got to focus on I am going to be healed because he promises me. The moment we shift our focus off of faith and onto legitimate reasons to doubt, faith will evaporate and there will be no miracle. Romans 4.19, it says, And not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body. Already dead, since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, Abraham clearly knew that he and Sarah were too old to conceive a child. But by faith, he said, I am not even going to consider that reality. I'm only going to consider the fact that God said it's going to happen. That's where I'm going. I'm not considering my own body. Because the problem with so many of us, we start considering all the other reasons why it shouldn't happen. And in so doing, when you start considering them, you're not considering that. Or you're double-minded, and then you're unstable in all your ways. To focus on that reality would not have produced a child. As we said earlier, James 1 says, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. The moment you're doubting, if you get anything, it's only by God's generous mercy. If you really want to get it because of biblical covenant, you cannot doubt is what this is saying. Now, speaking of waves of the sea being tossed by the wind, take a look at Peter while he's walking on the water. This is kind of a classic story. Remember, Peter's doing really well. Jesus comes, he's walking on the water. Lord, is that you? Yeah, if it is, bid me to come. Come, all right, here we go, guys. The other 11 are going, you're not really going to get out of the boat, are you? Yeah, he told me to come. I believe I I can can walk on water. He told me to come. It's him. Oh, man, I don't know. Here we go. And I don't know how he got out of the boat. That's a whole other sermon. But nevertheless, he, he's walking on the water, and his, as long as he's watching Jesus, it works. Getting closer and closer. And, you know, as soon as he was about three feet away, he kind of, oh, I got this one licked. And then he starts to think. Oh, wait a minute, what what, what am I doing? He looks at the the wind, he looks at the waves, and the moment he's looking at there, what happened? Bloop! You know, the miracle power could stop as soon as a shift went off of Jesus. Can you see how tenuous it is that if you are going for the miraculous, you have to be completely focused only on Jesus the entire time, or you will not make your goal. The moment you go somewhere else, 
How many times have we tried to walk to Jesus and we got halfway? Plunk. It's because our focus. And it's our focus dropped because we're looking at other stuff. We're considering all the legitimate reasons why we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. I was kind of curious about this. I, I'm thinking... Um, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if it's possible to walk on water. Let's look at that logistically. So what do you do when you have a question? Of course, you go to Google. Well, you know, I wondered, would Google even address this? Believe it or not, you can, you can type into Google, why can't we walk on water? Do you know there's a scientific reason? Here it is. Humans are so big that the force of gravity overcomes the so-called surface tension of water. Did you know there's a surface tension of water? Water sticks together, making us sink. But for tiny creatures, surface tension, the force created when water molecules cling together, becomes dominant and allows insects and very small animals to walk effortlessly across ponds and other liquid bodies. It's technically possible to walk across water if you don't weigh more than, you know, a tenth of an ounce or something. But Peter was a little above that when he got on the scales. And, and the thing is, Peter did not, did not need Google to figure that out. Peter's been around water all his life. There's been many times he's put his big foot into the water and down he went. He knows he cannot walk on water. That is a proven reality. That is out there. And the moment he started considering that, down he went. As long as he kept his focus on Jesus, up he stayed. And that is what this thing of physical healing is all about. If you will keep your focus completely on Jesus, I believe your chances of being healed are much better than putting your face in other places and looking at all the legitimate reasons we have to not be healed, oh boy, we're good at that. <laughs> well, it all begs the question, what is more important to you? Being respectful of all the reasons why you shouldn't be healed? Or getting healed? What is more important? I want to be true to myself. I'm a man of knowledge. I need to recognize that Trophimus was sick in Miletus. Paul had eye problems. Many, many people have been prayed for and nothing has happened. I cannot ignore all that, Pastor. Okay, good. I'm going to ignore it and I'm going to get healed. Take your pick. It really is it's a personal call. Now, I'll give you a little, little bit about me personally. I happen to be a, a sanctified narcissist. I really am. I, I'm very selfish at the core. I grew up in an only, as an only child. I had everything I wanted, spoiled like a brat. You name it. And that just put a deep selfishness into me. And I, I'll be the first to admit it. <laughs> Debbie will be the second to confirm it. <laughs> and here's the deal. I hate being sick. Oh, I hate being sick. I hate having any part of my body hurt. So, I choose to be healed. I choose to focus on that simply because I want to be healed. And it seems to be working. I had a prostate cancer scare 
a number of years ago. My PSA doubled. The doctor wanted to quickly do a biopsy on me, but I said, I want to first pray about this. And the Spirit quickened to me, Proverbs 18, 21, uh, which says, the issues of life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it shall eat its fruit. So I started to pray death into any possible cancer. It wasn't confirmed, but if my PSA suddenly doubles, I think something's going on. So I started for six months every day praying death into that whatever might be causing this. I go back six months later, another uh, blood test. Doctor says, you're good. You're back down to where it was. I tend to think my prayer had something to do with it. Again, I never had a biopsy, never had it totally confirmed. But I would rather be, I'd rather pray about this than get biopsied. So I decided I'd do that. Um, I also had problems with both of my knees. I had, they were blown up with all kinds of fluid and problems. It was going on for a number of months. Made an appointment with Kaiser. I was going to have orthoscopic knee surgery on both on a Wednesday. And I'm thinking, well, why not at least be prayed for? One of the perks of being the pastor is you can determine that you're going to get prayed for however you want. So I, I actually had everybody in the church come up, lay a hand on one of these knees, and it was like this major, long, I mean, it was the, it was the weirdest sight. I can still see it, all these people, hands on shoulders on shoulders. Everybody in the church somehow was connected to my knee. And I had one of the elders pray a prayer of healing. Got up. See if I can still get up. <laughs> I was completely healed. And I called the next day, canceled the appointment at Kaiser. No surgery needed. I haven't had any problems since. Why not? Why not? Rather do that than have them, you know, putting scopes down your knee and everything else. That's my, it can be done that way. You can get healed that way. Medical science is good at healing things. Another case, I, I actually needed to have a, a hernia surgery. In that case, I, I didn't have any faith for that. I said, well, you know, the doctors do that real well. There's really not a big downside to it. I'll let Kaiser do that one. They did it, and it was fine. I don't say, think you've got to get healed for everything, but in certain cases, then I had a situation where my lower back was completely out. It was so bad when it happened, I could barely walk. I, could, I was crawling all over the house, and for a whole year, I suffered with back problems. Always in, I couldn't even carry a computer. It was so, it was terrible. I happened, then I was able to go to Africa, and I was on the way to Africa. We were in England, and we, we stopped, and we listened to an, a, a Nigerian evangelist. This guy's name is Benson Ayahoda, really eccentric. I thought this guy's a little strange. Uh, but in one of the services, he says, wherever you're at, will you stand to your feet? Wherever you're hurting, would you put your hand where your pain is? You know, when people talk that religious language, but I, I said, this guy's got some faith. I'm going to at least go along with it. <laughs> he prays some prayer, completely healed. And it's been that way for the last 30 years. Many, so many people have back problems. I don't because I decided to lower my pride my arrogance and let this guy do his thing. You know, there's a million attitudes that are involved in this thing of healing. I'll also mention that 
I've at least, I think I've at least had 40 healings when it comes to the, the common flu. I start to get that initial symptom. You all know that one. You start to feel a little feverish, a little something. And I decide, you know, I'm going to do, when that starts to come on, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to get away. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to get away so I can just yell. And I do that. I get completely alone, usually in the car, and I start to speak death to that virus. Die, virus. Die. You're not coming into my body because I'm such a narcissist that I hate to have a cold. (laughs) And I I would, and then it was still linger. I'd go back and do it again and again. You see, you get them while they're small. That's when they're most vulnerable. (laughs) Don't Don't let them get in there and camp out. They're coming over the bridge. No, you're not. I'm stopping you right there in the name of Jesus. Now, that's my faith. I have faith for that. And I would say at least 40 times a cold started its process and quit after I started praying. You can do that. That's no respecter of person. But it takes an effort. I had to stop what I'm doing. I got to go out and get in the car i got to be sure no one's listening because I won't be able to pray if I know they're listening to me. So I can just bellow death to some virus that's trying to get you. Okay. Now I'm going for the big one. Every day I pray for the health of Moses. Because Moses lived to be 120 years old. I'm not going to live that long. I know that. But he had perfect eyesight all the way up. On his last day of life, he was able to climb a mountain. Um, I'm believing for it. I'm believing that uh, I'm, I'm going to die healthy. Why not? I could choose not to. I could choose, look at all the, well, nobody dies healthy. You, most people die of cancer or something. Else. Yeah, I know that. I don't want that. I'm believing for the best because it's in here. It's part of the contract. See, I'm a stickler for the biblical contract. If it says it, I believe it. God is not a liar. He don't break his contract. This is all I'm trying to say to you today. If it's in the contract, go for it. God's perfect way for death, according to the Scripture, Psalms 104.29, you take away their breath, they they die, return to the dust. That's how you're supposed to die. I recently heard my pastor, Matt Lacey, say something that profoundly influenced me. It helped me through my entire crisis with this. He says, don't overthink what God wants you to overlook. Don't overthink what God wants you to overlook. God wants us to overlook all the reasons why we shouldn't get healed. And if we're able to do that, That's going to up the chances we are going to get healed. See, those negative reasons do exist, but rather than focus on them, we are called to instead focus on Exodus 15, 26. I am the Lord who heals you. That's where I want my focus going, not on all the reasons why it shouldn't happen. We see this with the 10 spies. Remember the the 10 spies checked out the promised land? Twelve of them went out, ten come back, well, I don't know, man, those walls are really high. Giants, you see those guys? Man, they could drop basketballs into hoops. Just... And Joshua and Caleb said, I don't care. Our God says that we're able. 
Two of them decided to trust the Lord. The other ten were looking at all the reasons. They did the, they did the analytics on the, the, the army of Israel. <laughs> we don't measure up to these. Yeah, you don't. You probably don't. That doesn't matter. You see, there's always going to be reasons, reasons why you shouldn't get healed. So why even pray? Why even try? Why even get your hopes up? This can happen. And you're welcome to look at all those and you're welcome to bring them into your spirit and let doubt just rule your life. Or you can say, I don't care about all those reasons. I want to get healed. And I'm going to come to my God because he promised to heal me. The Israelites' problems, they overthought what God wanted them to overlook. I'm going to end with a little bit of science for you here. Neurological scientists tell us that we have pre-established thought routes in our brain that have been carved out by the frequency of always thinking the same way. Maybe you've heard this in other places. It's true. They form what we might think of as an actual rut in the circuitry of our brain. And when faced with a common dilemma, we are more likely to solve it by thinking the same way we always have in the past. And every time we think as we always have, that neurological rut digs deeper into our cranial circuitry. And then the next time we face a similar dilemma, you know how you're going to solve it? Just the way you solved it the last time. Because you're, the, the rut is already in place. Your thoughts just follow where it already has been established. We're told that we have somewhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts every day. Neurological scientists tell us that about 95% of our daily thoughts are a repeat of yesterday's thoughts. You believe that? The reason we repeat yesterday's thought is because our thought patterns have formed ruts. We just go where we've always gone. We always go to the same place, order the same food. Da, da, da. So we don't have to think. Are you aware that the scientists will tell us that your brain, our brains are lazy? Our brains are inherently lazy because they, they just want to try, they don't want to avoid working hard. And one of the ways they relax is by directing thoughts down the same pre-established routes that already exist. That is why 95% of our thoughts are a repeat of yesterday's. To think differently is stressful because it requires mapping out new thought routes in our brain, which we've never gone down before. When the citizens of Nazareth see Jesus, who now is saying, by the way, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of that verse. They all know what that meant. The guy thinks he's the Messiah. You know why Nazareth didn't believe? Thought routes. That's Jesus. Well, we, we grew up with him. We know his family. We, you know, he, he fixed my chair last month. I mean, gosh, he, he's, I see him at the synagogue every Sabbath. He looks the same. Hey, he he's even plays on the Nazareth softball team. Third base. Man, he's good, too. I mean, they had so many thought routes about Jesus. It was, to say he's the Messiah, What? That just conflicted with everything they have ever thought in the past. Is it no wonder they couldn't get past that and believe? Everywhere else did, except Nazareth. When it comes to physical healing, 
we have all got a lot of pre-established thought routes already stamped into the circuitry of our brain. You've had, you've had times where you've prayed for people and they didn't get healed. You've been prayed for, you didn't get healed. You've heard uh, maybe your mother-in-law, she went and actually had Oral Roberts pray for her and nothing happened. And you, All of those register in and they create a pattern of thinking. And so when you, if you're wanting to have a new faith for healing, God is going to have to bulldoze down a lot of pre-existing thought routes because we got too much resistance to believing anything different. Now, what I'm saying, I'm just dropping a seed. I'm not expecting anybody to go through a complete transformation of thinking. It won't happen. It takes, it takes too long to do that. But I'm hoping you can at least begin to theoretically look at this whole subject a little bit different. And hopefully as time goes on, your thought routes are going to be recarved. You're going to begin believing more for healing and less for not healing. Why not? You know, we got some years left. Wouldn't it be nice if you could finish out your days in better health than you've had before? Usually the next part of life is the health is worse. Why not make it better? I think you can. <laughs> well, I'm going to end with Mark 9.24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? And I think that's where we're at today. We believe, but we don't believe. We're, we're like this guy. You know the beautiful part of this story is that Jesus said, he accepted the guy where he is at. His request was answered because he was honest. He just believe. There's so much of me that doesn't believe. And Jesus said, I understand. And Jesus understands where you're at today. He understands how much doubt you're carrying. And he's not here to slap you around for it. He's here to say, hey, let's work on this. I want you to be a believing people. I got so much good stuff ready to just download to you. But according to the contract, I got to have some more faith. So let's get that faith level up a little bit here. And as we can do that, I'm going to start downloading healings. I'm going to give you miracles. Things are going to happen. And you're going to get to the point where all that other stuff you used to believe is just kind of just evaporates. Because that's not really what the Bible, that's not in the contract. That's somewhere else. And so I'd like to start the whole process this morning by giving you an opportunity. If you have doubt, <laughs> or your doubt is holding you back from your healing, and you'd like a change, I'd like you just to come as an act of faith, You're like you're walking to the pole. Whether you get healed or not, it's not even the issue. We're going to pray for you and believe God will, and I think some of you will. But if that don't happen, it's still a successful altar call because you are now, like this guy, you're confessing, Lord, help my unbelief, wash the doubts away, so that I can begin to have a whole new perspective towards this.